Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Abba, we thank you for your presence this morning. Um, in, in you and in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And uh, we thank you that you're a good father to us. We pray that your word would go forth to encourage your people, O oh God, and uh, that we would hear what we need from you this morning, uh, and that you would be glorified. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> a priest and a rabbi were sitting together on a train. Yeah, it's true. And the rabbi turned to the priest and said, uh, say, Father, could you ever be promoted, you know, within your church? And the priest says, well, he thoughts about, thinks about it, and he says, well, you know, if I serve well in my parish and I get a, a Ph.D. and uh, I could be chosen by uh, the local bishops and approved by the Congress of Bishops, and I could possibly become a bishop, but, you know. Uh, and the rabbi uh, questions him, and he says, well, well, what about after that? And then another pause, and the, the priest replies, well, you know, maybe if I'm recognized among the other bishops, I could be appointed by the Pope, and I could become a cardinal, but it's not very likely. Uh, and then, the rabbi says, and uh, thinking a little bit more, the priest says, well, if the uh, uh, majority of the, the cardinals agree, and uh, they would get together and, and pray, which sometimes takes years to decide, and they, they go in and they cast votes, and if you see the white smoke, right, that, uh, that means I might even rise to be the pope someday, but that, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. And the rabbi is still not satisfied, so he says, and then... With an air of incredulity, the, the priest says, well, what more could I become? I mean, after that, there's only God himself. And the rabbi leans back and says, well, one of ours made it. So. Okay. <laughs> so uh, thank you for... Uh, indulging me with that. And uh, the reason I told that joke is uh, not just because it's a bad joke, but also because it has something to do with what I'm going to talk about today. So we'll see if that becomes clear later on. But for now, I want to show you a picture of someone. We have a picture. This is Daniel Boyerin. He is a Jewish scholar in the Orthodox tradition and he has studied uh, the New Testament thoroughly. He once spoke at Ruach Israel, which is a Messianic synagogue in the Boston area. So he is familiar and affirming of our movement, although he himself is not uh, yet, I should say, a follower of Yeshua. So I'm going to read uh, an introduction from his book. Uh, this, is from, uh, this is called The Jewish Gospels. The Story of the Jewish Christ. And uh, speaking of Second Temple Judaism, that would be the Judaism of Yeshua's time, uh, this is what he writes, okay? Quote, 
So, being religiously Jewish then was a much more complicated affair than it is even now. There were no rabbis yet, and even the priests in Jerusalem and around the countryside were divided among themselves. Not only that, but there were many Jews both in Palestine and outside of it, in places such as Alexandria and Egypt, who had very different ideas about what being a good, devout Jew meant. Some believe that in order to be a kosher Jew, you had to believe in a single divine figure, and any other belief was simply idol worship. Others believe that God had a divine deputy or emissary or even son, exalted above all the angels who functioned as an intermediary between God and the world in creation, revelation, and redemption. This was a Jewish belief, by the way. Many Jews believed that redemption was going to be affected by a human being, an actual hidden scion of the house of David. Scion is like a little root or shoot. Um, and Anastasia, which means resurrection, who at a certain point would take up the scepter and the sword, defeat Israel's enemies, and return her to her former glory. Others believe that the redemption was going to be affected by that same second divine figure mentioned above and not a human being at all. And still others believed that these two were one and the same. I think we would probably affirm that as well, that the Messiah of David would be a divine redeemer. As I said, a complicated affair. While by now almost everyone, Christian and non-Christian, is happy enough to refer to Jesus, the human, as a Jew, I want to go a step beyond that. I wish us to see that Christ, too, the divine Messiah, is a Jew, unquote. Pretty cool, right? The problem with Messianic Judaism orienting itself within Judaism is that the claims of the New Covenant are often seen as not Jewish. However, Boyerin here is pointing out not only is the historic figure of Yeshua Jewish, right, but the concept of his being the Messiah King, the divine representation of God, is also Jewish. We Jews who regularly have said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We are now including Yeshua in the identity of that one God. But how can we do that and still be Jews? Are we, along with over two billion Christians on the planet, in idolatry? How would the original followers of Yeshua have understood his unique identity. This is the problem before us today in this week's New Covenant Parsha. This morning's sermon title, of course, is a question, because I'm Jewish, I like questions. And it's called, Eternal Life in the Divine Messiah, a Jewish Idea? And to answer that central question, of course... I have two other questions. Number one, what is the Son of Man, a.k.a. the Cloud Rider? And number two, what is our hope? 
So let's begin with question number one. What is the Son of Man? Yeshua refers to himself as the Son of Man many times in the Gospel accounts. I believe uh, that this is the most common way that Yeshua refers to himself more than any other title, more than Son of David, more than uh, he uh, asserts that he's the Messiah. He calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man will do this. The Son of Man will do that. Talking about himself. Right? Are we familiar with this term? Yes? Okay, good. All right, so, and, uh, so where, does the, where does this phrase come from, and what, what does it mean? Well, in this week's New Covenant Parsha, we get a hint of what it might mean. The Judeans, or Eudaioi, yeah, that's right, uh, are arguing with Yeshua about healing on Shabbat. Um, but then the conversation takes a turn, and uh, they start talking about Yeshua's uni- unique identity in relation to the God of Israel. So this is from John 5, starting in verse 17. And let's uh, pay attention to this because we're going to reference back to it. But he answered them, my father has been working until now, and I too am working. This answer made the Judeans all the more intent on killing him. Not only was he breaking Shabbat, but also by saying that God was his own father, he was claiming equality with God. Therefore, Yeshua said to them, Yes, indeed, I tell you that the Son cannot do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does too. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he does, and he will show him even greater things than these, so that you will be amazed. Just as the Father raises the dead and makes them alive, so too the Son makes alive anyone he wants. The Father does not judge anyone, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoever fails to honor the Son is not honoring the Father who sent him. Yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever hears what I'm saying and trusts the one who sent me has eternal life. That is, he will not come up for judgment but he has crossed over from death to life. Yes, indeed, I tell you that there is coming a time, in fact, it's already here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, those who listen will come to life. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has given the Son life to have in himself. Also, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is what? The Son of God of man. Son of man. Interesting. So there's a lot going on here, but we're going to unpack it uh, a little bit. So here at the end, we see that Yeshua has the authority to raise the dead. He has authority to judge humanity and authority to bring eternal life. The same authority as the God of Israel. And it says this is because he is the son of man, the son of man. This phrase, ben adam in Hebrew, it appears a couple times in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, and most scholars believe that this is a reference to a figure in the book of our friend Daniel, right? And this, uh, there's a figure in Daniel, oh, don't give it away yet, Jason, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten there yet. All right, known as the Son of Man. So perhaps this will explain how a human figure could have authority to execute judgment. 
how the Son could have the resurrection life of the Father in Himself, how the Son could share in the identity of the Father. Now, Daniel was a prophet who lived a holy life during the period of the exile, so he was outside of the land, and he had terrifying visions of kingdoms on the earth, Um, but the common theme of the book of Daniel is this. Kingdoms on this earth and rulers may come and go, but God's kingdom is what? Forever, right? So someday the messianic kingdom will overtake all the other powers and all the authorities, and God will be king over the whole earth, and the knowledge of God will fill the earth. This is what the other prophets describe when the wolf will lay down with the lamb in Isaiah 11.6. Imagine if the holiness of Shabbat this day someday overtook all the ordinariness of the other days so that all of time and space was filled with Shabbatiness, right? Yeah. That day that we're resting on today that holiness and love and life force will someday be over all of time and all of creation so that even the cups that we drink out of will be holy, as it says in Zechariah 14, 21. And so with this messianic kingdom in mind, we see that Daniel has a vision about it, and he sees two figures. One is called the Ancient of Days, and the other, well... I think you know who the other one is. So let's pick it up in Daniel 7, verse 9, and let's try to envision what Daniel saw. Okay? Try to picture this. As I watched, thrones were set in place. Does it say one throne or thrones? Thrones. Interesting. Okay. And the ancient one took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames with wheels of burning fire. A stream of fire flowed from his presence. Thousands and thousands ministered to him. Millions and millions stood before him. Then the court was convened and the books were opened. So who is this talking about? The God of Israel, right? This is Hashem who is, dwells in light, right? Okay, you with me so far? Okay, then we're going to look at you know, this is, uh, this is an interesting text that follows. Um, I feel like it would make a good song. Don't you guys think so? You know, um, I, I once wrote a musical about the story of Daniel, and I, I wrote a, a little tune to this. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, and if you, if you catch on, maybe you could sing it with me. <clears throat> All right, here goes. <clears throat> I kept watching night visions when I saw her coming with the clouds of heaven. Someone like the Son of Man. 
He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and tongues should serve and adore him. Should serve and adore him. His rulership is eternal that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. His rulership is eternal. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I kept watching night visions. When I saw her coming with the clouds of heaven. Someone like the Son of Man. Someone like the Son of Man. Who is like the Son of Man? Amen. All right. Did that help you picture that a little bit? Or was it just... Yes. Okay, good. Hopefully. Okay, so we have two figures here, right? In the Tanakh, the, the Hebrew Bible, and one is the Ancient of Days, surrounded by a brilliant light, and then another figure, the Son of Man, who rides on the clouds and is given total and eternal rulership. Rashi, the great medieval Jewish commentator, said of verse 13, and when it says, one like a son of man, he, his commentary says, that is the king Messiah. All right? Psalm 68 verse 4 says this, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. yud vav Okay? Someone who is merely a good teacher does not ride on the clouds. The Lord rides on the clouds. Someone who is merely a formidable rabbi is not given an eternal throne over Israel and the nations. The Lord has authority over the nations. Someone like the Son of Man. So what is the Son of Man? from John and from Daniel, the divine Messiah who shares in the identity and the authority of the God of Israel, the Lord, the cloud rider. Isn't that a cool title? I think someone should make a comic book or something about Yeshua called the cloud rider. Yeah, and then someone would be like, whoa, awesome, like, you know, because that's like surfing language, but then he would be like, you know, in both ways. Like, it's 
I'm full with awe, but never mind. Okay. Um, uh, where was I? Okay. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, um, some of Yeshua's disciples are standing in awe as he ascends back uh, after he's resurrected, and uh, he ascends to his throne. And this is what happens. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Yeshua, who has been taking, taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Beloved, that means the cloud rider is coming back. Oh, yeah. And this brings us to our second question. What is our hope? Fortunately for us, when we're looking at the Gospel of John, we have the express purpose of the Gospel written in the Gospel itself. This is the last verse of the second to last chapter. John 20, verse 31, puts it like this. But these which have been recorded are here, so that you may trust that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by this trust you may have life. Because of who he is. So that we may have, what? Life. When Yeshua says that we have eternal life in him, um, we can understand this in uh, multiple ways. And I have at least three that I'd like to share with you. Number one, we have hope in the life after death. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 10, The Apostle Paul echoes what we read in the Gospel of John. So we're going to see how that maps onto onto it. And he says this, So we are always confident. We know that so long as we are at home in the body, we are away from our home with the Lord. For we live by trust, not by what we see. We are confident then and would much prefer to leave our home in the body and and come to our home with the Lord. Therefore, whether at home or away from home, we try our utmost to please him. For we must all appear before the Messiah's court of judgment, where everyone will receive the good or bad consequences of what he did while he was in the body. Do you remember what Yeshua was saying in John and how that maps onto that? That he's, he's going to judge everyone and that eternal life is given to him? So it's the same idea. So this maps onto the gospel account, and it points to the eternal life that we have in Yeshua after death. In Jewish terms, this is referred to as the world to come, or having a share in the world to come. So in other words, trusting in the Messiah King, Yeshua, assures us that we have a share in the world to come. Another meaning of eternal life is the hope of resurrection, right? Paul continues a little bit further in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, This is the same book that we just read from. It's a few verses down, starting in verse 14. For the Messiah's love has hold of us, because we are convinced that one man died on behalf of all mankind, which implies that all mankind was already dead, and that he died on behalf of all, in order that those who live should not live any longer for themselves, 
but for the one who on their behalf died and was raised. So from now on, we do not look at anyone from a worldly point of view. Even if once we regarded the Messiah from a worldly viewpoint, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed. Look, what has come is fresh and new. So because the Messiah was raised from the dead, we also have a resurrection hope. This too is very Jewish. Maimonides, the great medieval rabbi, he penned 13 articles of faith that are foundational to Judaism. And one of them says this, quote, I believe with perfect faith that there will be a resurrection of the dead at the time when it shall please the Creator, blessed be His name, and exalted be the remembrance of Him forever and ever. You notice that uh, we, we sang, uh, we did some uh, traditional liturgy this morning, right? We talked about the hope of resurrection from the dead. This is not a messianic Jewish um, liturgy. This is from, this is a traditional liturgy. So it's, it's in there, folks. Yeah, it's in there. You may also notice in Paul's writing that there is another meaning for eternal life here. The fullness of a new life right now. In this world. So if we are a new creation in Messiah through trusting, then the world to come has entered into this world. Indeed, Yeshua proclaims that the kingdom of God is what? Upon us. Right. So, therefore, what is our hope? Trusting in Yeshua brings eternal life. That is, a hope of life after death a hope of resurrection, and a hope of renewed life in Messiah, even now in this age. Amen? So we've seen that the idea of a divine Messiah is Jewish, and it is attested in the book of Daniel, part of the Hebrew Scriptures. We've seen that the cloud rider, the Messiah King, is given authority over Israel and all nations on the throne. And we have seen that the divine Jewish Messiah fulfills the Jewish hope of eternal life. Life in God forever, starting right now. So now that we have answered all the questions, I have a final question for all of you. When I taught uh, elementary school, we would have announcements every morning. And uh, we would say something every morning. Do you know what we would say? The Pledge of Allegiance. That's right. And uh, a lot of times, uh, kids, they would have fifth graders come and do it, and they would be on the announcements, and they would say this, I pledge of allegiance to the flag, because it's called the Pledge of Allegiance. So they would say, I pledge, never mind. (laughs) So that when they said that, that would tell me that they probably didn't understand those big words, because you can't pledge of allegiance something. You know, that doesn't really make sense. So I wanted to, to ask, what, what do those words mean then? Maybe we can understand them and help an elementary schooler later on, right? Pledge. Pledge is like a promise or like a covenant. An allegiance, that's like a devotion and trust and faith and adherence. 
So my final question is this. Have you pledged allegiance to Yeshua, the divine Messiah King, who will come back as the radiant cloud rider? And if not, why not do it today? Sometimes I say that marrying Sonia was the best decision I ever made. But really, it's the second best. Pledging my allegiance to King Yeshua, that was the best decision I ever made. Let's pray. Baruch Hashem. Abba, we thank you that you are good and that you are um, so amazing that we could talk about you and study you forever and ever and still not talk about all of your goodness and all of your glory. And I thank you that uh, you sent your son who shares in your identity somehow and is uh, a, a, a piece of the, the identity of the God of Israel, uh, yud heh vav -Heh, and that uh, you bring eternal life and you bring resurrection and you bring the hope of a renewed life in you right now through Yeshua the Messiah. And uh, I thank you for texts like the book of Daniel, which, which show us that this is a, a Jewish thing, right? It's, it's a Jewish thing to trust in a divine Messiah. And uh, I thank you for scholars like Daniel Boyerin, um, who are recognizing that this is a Jewish thing. And I, I pray that he would even go a little bit further to recognize his own Messiah. And uh, for all Israel, Lord, that they would come to a knowledge of you and your goodness, and for all nations, that they would come to a knowledge of you and your goodness through Yeshua the Messiah, and in his name we pray, amen. Uh, please rise as you're able for the Aaronic blessing and the Kiddush. <laughs>